This is Play-By-Play Cast. Is that faster than a greyhound? The podcast about play-by-play guys. For play-by-play guys, by I'm told, a play-by-play guy. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for him. Now here's the host of Play-by-Play Cast, Todd Bodet. Wait, the Motel 6 guy? We'll leave the light on for you. No, Joel Godet. Joe Godet. Joel. Joe. Joel? Joel, with an L. Okay, here's your host, Joel Godet. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. Another edition of Play by Play Cast here on a Friday morning. A couple of weeks, I guess, knee deep now into both college and well, one week into the NFL football season. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Twitter at PXPCast. You can hit me up individually as well at Joel Godet, J O E L G O D E T T. This is the podcast about play by play guys for play by play guys by supposedly a play by play guy. Uh, Ball State football is a couple of weeks in. Tough one on the chin at Indiana last week. Cardinals hosting Eastern Kentucky coming up this weekend. So uh, to all those play-by-play announcers that uh, have begun their seasons uh, alike, um, hope it's gone well. I will say this much, and they're not paying me anything for this. This is just how unbelievable their product is. Bought myself those Bushnell wide-angle, wide-view binoculars, and I couldn't find them in a store. I went to Cabela's, Dick's, Sears, and at that point I gave up. Uh, but I was trying to find them, those wide-angle binoculars. And everybody, not not everybody, a lot of people that I've talked to have talked about how great these things are. Everybody's got binoculars when you do football, baseball too. You got to see the bullpens. If you're doing football, you got to see down on the field, check some numbers, especially if you're really high. And I had regular binoculars. They were good. Um, They were nice ones. They weren't like carnival binoculars. But I went out and got the wide angle ones just because, because I guess I'm getting older. I don't know. Uh, Used them in the ball state game against Indiana this past weekend. Life changer. If you do not own a pair of Bushnell wide-angle binoculars, you're missing out. I called the game through binoculars. I could see the entire field. I broadcast a 50-yard pass down the field through binoculars. It was one of the most incredible experiences ever. Found the ball the whole way, never lost it. Fantastic. You know everybody. You don't have to think, you don't have to second guess. All that stuff that broadcasters, we always talk about, make sure you know which running back has the pink towel on his left hip so you can identify. You don't need that with these things. You can literally see everything. Life changers. Public service announcement for the week. Uh, They didn't pay me at all to say that. I'm just, that is ringing endorsement. Ringing endorsement. As Donald Trump would say, believe me. (laughs) They're great. So if you don't have a pair of those, uh, go pick yourself up one. You can find them on Amazon. They're 60 bucks. There was free shipping on mine. Um, I'm a first-time Amazon user, so uh, take that for what it's worth. But uh, well worth the money, and I think uh, make your life uh, a heck of a lot easier when it comes to uh, broadcasting, particularly football. Uh, anyway, to today's guest. You're not here to hear me ramble. Uh, you're here to hear Bob shoes and ramble. Uh, he, he is the voice of the New York Jets. He also does college sports across the ESPN family of networks. And in my humble opinion, 
is one of the more underrated guys in this industry. Uh, And I only say that because his name is just not off the tip of the tongue to the casual sports fan. Broadcasters know who he is. Uh, and I and I think your diehard sports fans do, certainly your New York, New York fans do, but your casual college television fan, you know, you, you know certain broadcasters, you know your Nestlers and your Musburgers uh, when it comes to NFL stuff, you, certainly your Nances and, you know, all those guys on, on down the list, Al Michaels and I guess a little bit Tariko this year as well. But Bob Wachusen is a guy that is on that under-the-radar level. I think Ian Eagle, hands down, number one most underrated guy in this business. Uh, but I think Bob Wachusen is kind of in that that underrated, all underrated team. So uh, stoked to be able to talk to him. Where we started with Bob on this episode, uh, a little bit different than where we've started with some other guys in the past. And uh, when you go to Bob's Twitter, it says, uh, play-by-play broadcaster, golf hockey addict, Disney diehard, BC Eagle, and big fish fan. That's P.H. Fish, the band. And I'm a guy that has some different kind of eclectic interests. I like to try to weave that into my broadcast as much as possible. So uh, I wanted to talk to Bob off the top about how you incorporate your interests as a human, as a person, not as a broadcaster, uh, into what you do. And uh, how that can make you a better broadcaster. So uh, that's the angle we we start with here, and and we start with that by uh, when Bob says Disney diehard, I wanted to know uh, if he meant world, land, movies, or channel. We go from there on play-by-play cast. Oh, also a quick side note, uh, audio for about the first minute, a little raspy. I've got a Zoom H1 recorder, and it kind of frustrates me sometimes. Got it fixed after about a minute, though, Uh, so then smooth sailing. Uh, In the meantime, Bob Wachusen. You know, we take the kids every year. So it's like, you know, for whatever reason, everybody's got their thing that takes them back to when they were seven years old. And, you know, for me, I just love taking them to Disney World. It's just a million things to do, and they love it. And so, you know, every year I bring them and I force my wife to go along, too. And she's been a pretty good sport about it. That sounds like if you have to force somebody to go to Disney World, that sounds terrible. Yeah, well, it's. Uh, you know, once you've been there, like, you know, 15 straight years, I can understand why, you know, an adult person might get a little tired of it. And, uh, you know, she definitely, at this point, qualifies as a, uh, uh, like a, you know, a a good sport, I guess is the best way to put it. <laughs> uh, the reason I, I, I wanted to start there, too, is because I noticed, I know you're a fish guy, too, and I, I Googled you last night, and I, I found the fish reference you had dropped during a Syracuse basketball game also. Uh, and I wanted to kind of work backwards in a broadcast sense from those things, from having external interests and external influences in life that are not kind of sports related and, and how that can inform what you do um, that can make it more interesting or just have a library of references that aren't necessarily related to what you're seeing in front of you um, that you can kind of drop on a, on a, on a dime or drop on, uh, at the drop of a hat and and make something a little bit more thoughtful or interesting for somebody listening at home. And I guess, you know, hopefully you have a sense of humor. I think you have to start with that in our business. If you're someone that doesn't have a sense of humor, then, you know, I mean, we're in the kind of the candy store of life in sports. So, you know, you should be able to have a laugh. Um, but I, I would like to think that we can all bring our personality to this and things that we're interested in might jump into the broadcast. But at the same time, 
you know, I'm always cognizant of remembering, you know, why I'm there, what my job is to be there. And in the grand scheme of things, how few people probably care about what I care about outside of watching the game that they're watching. So, I mean, if you drop too many music references about the band you like, you know, you're probably talking to about 2% of your audience. <laughs> and there's a good 2% of your audience has no idea what you're saying. So, you know, once in a while, show a little personality, let those things drop in there and have a laugh. But um, I'm not someone that's going to, you know, I, I, I try with the broadcast side to keep the train on the tracks and remember that the reason that I'm there and calling the game is for the audience that wanted to watch the game. I mean, that's, yep. you know, the fan bases of the teams that are in the game and, and sports fans, That that's who we're talking to. So I always try to keep that in mind and, and make sure, you know, we don't go too far off the reservation. How long did it take you to build uh, a comfort with basically who you are, what you're doing, um, how to how to have fun with it, how to be serious, how to, uh, how to drop this in here, or how to, basically how to get a feel of what you're doing to the point where you just pick up a headset and it's like driving a car where you are just comfortable and it comes out. Well, you know, that's probably a question that all of us will have to answer upon retirement completely. Okay. You know, I mean, I feel far more than I did 15 years ago, I would imagine that I will feel far more comfortable 15 years from now than I feel at this moment. Um, part of it, I think, has to do with the person that you're broadcasting with. You know, I mean, obviously you want to have a partner that you're comfortable with and you develop good chemistry with the guy that you're, you know, or, or the girl that you're doing the games with. That certainly helps uh, in a big way. But... You know, we're always tweaking our craft, how we prepare, what we do, how the game sounds. I still go back and listen listen to tapes of myself, you know, especially close games and buzzer beaters or last second either goal line stands or touchdowns or things like that. You know, I want to go back and listen to how I call things to see if I liked it or if I could, you know, do a better job. Um, so, you know, I mean... I guess that's, you know, there are parallels to be drawn with, you know, in all different kinds of industries. I mean, you know, you, you know, you, you still got guys that are, you know, 55 years old on the champions tour in golf who have swing coaches. They're still working on their game. They're still, you know, trying to perfect their craft. Um, you know, the, the Detroit Tigers have a hitting coach and, that guy's job, I guess, is to try and make Miguel Cabrera better. So, and I, again, I, I, I'd like to think that I feel a lot more comfortable and I'm better at this than I was 15, 20 years ago. But I don't doubt that I could be better at this 15 to 20 years from now than I am right now. When you listen back to yourself, uh, what perks your ear? What do you listen for that, I, I mean, even if if you want to go as, as current as, I mean, if you listen back to a game from the end of last football season, um, what were you thinking about as far as positive things that you were looking for, or as far as things that were bugging you that you wanted to still correct? Well, I would say the thing that I'm always trying to perfect, if I can, especially in the closing moments, the delicate balance of less is more, that the people that are watching are watching for the drama of the end of the game. 
and trying to strike the perfect balance of giving them exactly what they need to know, exactly the perspective that we need to lend at the end of the game, but not talk it to death. And when the big moment happens, just shut up and let it breathe and let the pictures tell the story. So, I mean, my number one thing at the end of a football game, especially if there's a touchdown scored in the final minute, obviously this is what the television, but not radio, but on television, just call the touchdown and that's it. And then just lay out and let all of the on-field celebration, the people going crazy in the stands, the band playing, all of that go. And, you know, because I'm not going to add anything to that that the viewer can't see. So hopefully I'm striking that balance of the big moment, how much time is on the play clock, if the play clock is winding down, setting up the analyst to talk strategy, all of those things. But then hopefully hit the big moment with your call and then get out. And if I can do that, and it sounds that way at the end of the game, then I feel like I did my job at the end of the game. So usually in the last four or five minutes, that's what I'm listening for, and particularly the last minute or so, um, and especially if there's a game-winning call. What's the difficulty of, if you're doing a Thursday night Westwood one game, you've got you know a Jets game on the radio, you've got a TV game, uh, being able to shift in and out of TV mode versus radio mode in moments like that and be able to do it quick enough so that when those moments happen, uh, you're in the, the right headspace. Yeah, that's something I'm used to. I mean, I've, I've done 15 years now of, you know, television on Saturday, um, NFL radio on Sunday. You know, that, that to a certain extent, I think, becomes now second nature. Um, you know, the, the thing that nobody sees that's difficult, um, you know, especially when seasons start to overlap. You know, I've had weekends where I've called you know, five different events in six days in four different time zones. <laughs> and by the time you get to that fifth or sixth event, you know, having a voice left, um, you know, getting enough sleep and booking your flights from city to city smartly so that you're not hopefully doing a game on no sleep, that you're, you know, as best you can, avoiding picking up all the germs in the airport because you've got no resistance because you've been up for 48, 3 hours. So, um, you know, that, that to me is the biggest challenge. That's the part nobody sees. Um, you know, very rarely are you going to have someone that is going to know that you're doing, you know, a Wednesday night basketball game, a Thursday night football game, a Saturday football game, a Sunday football game, a Monday night basketball game. Um, because very few fans are fans of everything and watch everything. So you're talking to, you know, five or six completely distinct different audiences all of those nights, that, and they all think that the game that you're calling is the only game that you've called this week for the most part. Every now and then somebody on Twitter sends me a funny message, you know, man, how do you, you know, how did you get from here to there? I can't, I was watching you last night, now I'm watching you tonight. But 99% of the people that you're talking to, you know, if you're doing a Jet radio game on a Sunday afternoon, you know, that person wasn't watching Wisconsin-Michigan basketball on Thursday. They have no idea you did that. You know, what do they care? They care about the Jets. So, um, you know, so that, that's, the, that's the biggest part of it that nobody sees is when all of these seasons and all of these games crisscross, you know, how, how do you travel without 
losing your mind and your voice and trying to stay healthy and so that you can still do the same job in game five that you did in game one. Have you ever not made it from here to there or had trouble or cut it close? Oh, trouble a million times. <laughs> not made it from here to there. Uh, no. I mean, I, for the most part, I've always at least built some type of, you know, emergency plan into, you know, into the works so that I'll get there. Um, I book flights, so there's, you know, a backup. So in case something goes wrong, now, having said that, I'm sure I'm jinxing myself, and this year I'll probably have some flight cancellation and not make a game. Yeah, sorry about that. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> my, my mistake. But, but I think what... No, what I, and what you do is you go into it with eyes wide open. You know, I mean, I, I've never done a Westwood game on a Thursday without the guys from ESPN knowing that I'm doing it and them giving, you know, kind of the people benediction and saying, okay, well, you've got enough time to get to where you need to go. Go ahead and do that. Or I've never done an ESPN game in some place risky on Saturday without the guys from the Jets knowing, you know, are you comfortable with this? Because this is the travel scenario. How can I get there? Um, as realistic as possible, and you know, there there have been times. I mean, there have been times where I've made it to a game that the teams haven't made it to. Um, <laughs> you know, I did. I did a game, or didn't do a game, I should say, uh, either two years ago or three years ago. Uh, Georgia Tech and North Carolina were supposed to play in Atlanta during that ice storm that looked like The Walking Dead where everybody, like, stranded their cars on the highway and whatnot. Yeah. You know, I mean, I got there. I got to Atlanta. And then got a call, like, the morning of the game that we were canceling the broadcast because half the people that were supposed to work the broadcast couldn't get there. Um, so, you know, I, I try to take the doomsday approach and make sure that I've got – a plan in place that's going to get me where I need to go. I want to double back to the here and now, uh, but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself here. Uh, I kind of want to go back to the beginning with you real briefly um, to when you were at Miami and basically building from there to the fan and from there to the New York market and what your goal was. I mean, did you want to do play-by-play? And and what was your – I mean, did you set out with the mindset of I'm going to go to – this market to get myself to this market so that I can expose myself to opportunities or, or how did things unfold for you? Yeah, my attitude was always, I mean, in our business, and you, you realize that the more people I'm sure you've talked to in formats like this, that there is no mail room to the boardroom ladder Yeah, where if you go to a certain place, all right, well, go to Toledo. And then three years later, you're going to be in Kansas City. And maybe four years after that, you'll be in Chicago. And two years later, you'll be in New York. I mean, they're, you know, everybody has a different path that they take. So my attitude and the reason I went to Miami out of college was they offered me a job. That was it. I just, it didn't matter where the job was. It just happened to be in Miami. Uh, but they offered me an opportunity to come and work. So that was it. I mean, it, was, it was really that simple. I just needed to go get a job. And my attitude was just get a job, be in the building, be around the decision makers. Hopefully they like you and they give you a chance to do more. And in Miami it worked out. And then hopefully you do a good job there. Word of mouth will spread. Hey, there's a guy in Miami doing a good job. Send some tapes out. You get another opportunity. 
Uh, the reason I got back to New York really was based on the fact that I was an intern there. I, mean, I was an intern at uh, FAN when I was in college. So this was only three years later. I mean, the, the decision makers there knew me, knew I had gone to Miami to do what I had to do. Um, so, I mean, my goal, I would say, if I had an immediate goal, uh, when I was, you would ask me when I was a senior in college, what do I want to do for the rest of my life? I would have told you that I wanted to be a, an afternoon drive sports talk host and take calls and yell at people about sports and have arguments and have laughs, and it would have been great. Um, I really got into the play-by-play end of it more because I realized that in kind of getting back to the DNA of all of us as sports fans, that while it's great to talk about the event, there's nothing that will ever replace being at the event. Yep. So just too much fun to be at games. And, you know, sports talk hosts all go through that Groundhog's Day you know, dilemma of just beating themselves over the head with the same topic day after day after day and feeling like you're talking about the same thing day after day after day. Where to me, games, even though they're the same sport, every game kind of has a life and a drama of its own. And then there's that season-long drama of following a team. And so and I, I really always enjoy being at the game. So um, started off in Miami thinking I wanted to be a talk show host. I was a talk show host down there. And then got the opportunity to come back up to, to FAN, where I was kind of a jack of all trades. I was kind of the Swiss Army knife. I would, you know, go cover an event. I would do updates. I would do a couple of talk shows. I would, you know, do really, you know, pregame and postgame shows, whatever they needed. And I uh, was kind of doing play-by-play as a freelancer on the side to get better at it. And then eventually um, got the Jets job, and, and that has spring been the springboard to be, you know, much more of a, you know, a regular play-by-play guy. And I imagine once you've got the Jets job, the ESPN stuff, the Westwood one, in some respect, kind of falls in line as you build reputation and as you get more reps, no? Yeah, I mean, you know, you still... I was on... I was doing the Jets for at least three or four years before I was even given a few games by ESPN. Um you know, they have a pretty big shop up there and a lot of guys that want to do it. So you still are banging your head against the wall often to try and get to the next level. And, I mean, I'm still doing that. You know, I mean, now I'm a college football play-by-play guy. Well, every college football play-by-play guy, I would think worth his salt, someday wants to do the college football playoff. And, you, you, you know, every NFL television play-by-play guy, I would think, strives to one day do the Super Bowl. Now, how realistic is that? I have no idea for, for anyone, but, you know, to me, there's always has, there always has to be a goal out in front of you where you want to do bigger and better. And so, uh, you know, it, it it took a while. I mean, it was not, it's not overnight where all of a sudden, just because I'm doing the Jets on the radio, you snap your fingers and ESPN calls up and says, well, you're good enough to work for us. You know, when can you start? Um, you know, you, you had to you know, make yourself available to them and do some lower-level events at first just to kind of get your foot in the door and like any place else. You know, you kind of do have to start in the mailroom and hope someday to work your way to the boardroom. What's the feedback system like at, at that kind of a level as well? And obviously you're listening to your, your, your own stuff, but if you're the voice of the Jets, I mean, I you've got bosses there. Are Do, do they give you things that they hear? I, I imagine... 
uh, Howard probably gives you some stuff at Westwood One, uh, ESPN. Who says what? Who watches what? And and how does that kind of work as a as a growth mechanism? Well, I hate to say that it's a little bit of pick and choose with feedback, but there have been times where I've gotten a call from some type of person in authority after a game saying, boy, you handled that situation great. I loved it. And then a half an hour later, the phone has rang. And, you know, the end of the game situation, you might want to think about doing this next time. And it's two different people working in the same office telling you two different things about the same game. So, you know, I definitely think that constructive criticism and feedback has a very, very important place in what you do. But at the end of the day, you have to call the game the way you call the game. And hopefully the way you call the game is something that most people like. And, you know, keeping in mind kind of the scary part of our business is that very, very few to almost none of the people who are giving you feedback have ever put on a headset and called a game themselves. You know, it's kind of that same complaint that I think athletes and coaches have about those of us in the media. You know, the guy that's criticizing my ability to throw a, you know, 30-yard seam route or, you know, make the right coaching decision clock management-wise at the end of the game has never been on a sideline and has never worn a helmet. And to a certain extent, they're right. And so while I definitely think that there are guys at an executive level, you know, at all of the places that I have worked or do work, that, I mean, they really know what they're talking about. And they have said many things that make me better, and I think it may be better. Um, you know, sometimes you realize that their feedback is coming from a place of someone that's never done it before. So, you know, I, I hate to say you pick and choose, but there are certain things that, you know, I think have resonated with me that guys have given me feedback-wise more than others. Let's put it that way. I want to talk to you about prep, too, because, um, I mean, we've, we've hit on the amount of stuff that you do. Uh, and, and it was funny because I saw there was an interview. I, I think it was on the ES, yeah, it was on ESPN Front Row, um, and it talked about what a typical life is like for an ESPN play-by-play commentator. And you said, um, materials start to arrive for football Monday, spend all day Tuesday making charts, Wednesday's conference calls, Thursday travel, Friday spent production truck and hotel and meetings, Saturday we do the game, and then Sunday you said you squeeze in a Jets game, and then Monday it starts all over. Um, how do you, I, I imagine there's more than squeezing in the Jets game, and then you've got to throw in if you're doing the Thursday night game as well. How do you juggle all that, uh, number one? Uh, and number two, how do you keep it all straight so that each thing is its own and it doesn't necessarily bleed into the other if by accident only? Yeah, I mean, obviously you have hopefully pretty detailed and comprehensive cheat sheets in front of you, and so you know the two teams that are in front of you and all the information that you wrote down, you know where you wrote it and know where you like to write it and what you like to say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the nature specifically of college football more than any other sport that I've ever worked is that, and especially if you work an NFL game on Sunday, as I do, as Dave Cash does with the Cardinals, I don't think there's one day in the entire college football season that goes by where you don't do at least a little bit of work. There's no, there's no day that's totally work-free because of the nature of prepping all week. And I, I hate to say that the guys that do NFL television don't get this, 
But if the guys that do NFL television have never done college football, they really don't know what a week of nonstop prep is because there's vastly more teams. There's vastly more players. You very rarely at times will get a repeat team in a season and every year you're starting over because the odds are that last season, if you called, say, I don't know, I've got North Carolina, Georgia opening week for ESPN. Well, I had North Carolina a couple of times last season, but their quarterback's gone. Now their best wide receiver's gone. Three or four of their best defensive players are gone. So now who are the stories? It's a whole bunch of new guys. So if I pull out my chart from last season's North Carolina games, I mean, a lot of the guys that I have great information about, they're gone. They're not there anymore. So you're constantly starting over again in college football. I actually remember last year driving in my car and listening to Jim Nance do a radio interview somewhere, and he was talking about Tom Brady in the production meeting for the AFC Championship game saying something that was pretty revealing, more revealing than he had said in previous production meetings with Ian Phil Sims. And Nance said something to the effect of, and I'll forget the exact number, but, you know, I went back and realized that Phil Sims and I have now called like 75 Patriot games with Tom Brady at quarterback. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself as I'm driving, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You guys have called a team's games in, in football 75 times or 80 times or whatever, and the quarterback hasn't changed? You know, the quarterback will change yearly in college football for the best programs. So, you know, that's why college football is an, an animal totally unto itself because you're, you're starting fresh every week. You're not getting repeat teams. Um, it's, you know... It really is an all-consuming week of trying to get ready for one of those games. But when you truly have to be ready to do a good job. How do you organize your charts? Uh, I mean, I've got, you know, I've got a box for each guy, and then I've got, as kind of space allows, boxes in different places where I've got different storylines, and I've got a separate kind of storylines sheet as well. Um, and as great as I, as much as I like it, and as much as it's helpful, there are times where I'm going, gosh, there's got to be different or easier ways. Uh, what's kind of been the way, I'm sure there's been some tinkering as you've gone on, uh, what's been the way that you've found works best for you drawing up charts for football? You know, it's because it's such a cumulative process each week, like you read a great story about a kid on a Monday, and then you read another good story about him on Wednesday, You've already written the story down on Monday, and now, oh, man, I'm running out of space to write more stuff. This is better than what I've already written down. Yep. I mean, everyone's second gets the way they there. So, you know, don't think you're alone in that. I've got a similar chart. I mean, I've got every player's statistics and names and numbers and heights and weights and class and hometown and all that. And then, you know, some lines around them to write human interest stories and, you know, maybe some statistics that aren't their base stuff. But, you know, um, I think the only way that I've kind of tweaked my own preparation each week is the night before the game. Um, and I've already gone over the chart a bunch, but we have a production meeting on Fridays, Friday nights before our Saturday games. And while I'm sitting in the production meeting or just before, I'll go through the whole chart. And anything that I think is the most important statistical note or notes about that player 
I'll highlight in yellow. If there's a human interest story about that player that I think is the top priority, I'll highlight that in pink. That's just kind of my my color scheme, my system. Everybody's got a different way. Some people write it down in the first place. Like different colors, magic marker. I mean, I use a lot of pencil because a lot of times I'm erasing and rewriting and finding places for, you know. So, yeah, I mean, whichever way you find on your chart, and this is for any play-by-play guy, that you know where you like to write it and how you like to write it and how much you like to write to trigger in your head the story that you need to then tell. I mean, develop your own system. You know, everybody's got a different way of doing it, but I think probably the DNA of all of our systems is probably the same. You're just, especially for football, because it's a week-long process, you really are just kind of scribbling things down the whole week as you go. And one more question on prep, and then I'll, I'll move off of that. But I'm curious, um, when you talk to coaches and you've got your, your teleconferences or your conference calls or, or if you're meeting with people uh, in person, and I, I guess it's silly to think there's a template because everything is different, but when you walk in and sit down, if you're doing a college game with two teams you've never seen, what are the most important things you're looking to know in general uh, to get yourself, kind of have your feet under you and feel like, I've got a handle on this, now we can fill in around the periphery? Well, I mean, I start off every conference call the exact same way uh, with the coordinators, not with the head coach. The head coach is a different entity, and, you know, I'll, I'll kick off the conference call with a few questions for the head coach, generally speaking, about his team. Then I turn it over to whoever the analyst is. In my case, last year and this year, it'll be Brock Heward, and he takes over because he, I want to listen to the football that he talks to the coaches about because to me, that's the equivalent of watching film with him. Because now I know what he thinks the most important aspects of the game are going to be. But that's what he's talking to these coaches about. Interesting. This helps me keep the conversation more towards what I know he thinks is going to be important. Um, I mean, I feel like I know football well enough to ask the right questions during a game. But I absolutely want to know what he thinks is the most important. Um, and, but at least with the coordinators, I start off every conference call the same way. I run through the two and three deep and ask, you know, names, numbers, positions for everyone to make sure I've got all the right guys in all the right places. And I want them to confirm every position group and as closely as possible, confirm every guy that's going to start. And I always close out every position group. And this is a lesson I taught myself based on failing miserably in a couple of games early in my career. Did I miss anyone who might see the field? In particular, did I miss anyone who might touch the ball? Especially on offense. So they might have four or five guys listed at tight end. Or three or four guys listed at running back on their two deep in their game notes. And all of a sudden... There's a guy that they'll run something specific to the goal line with. You know, a, a tight end that gets in in their jumbo package and they'll go play action and flip it to him. It might be the only play in the entire game that guy plays. But that's just the nature of college football. You've got 90 guys that are able to get in the game. So there are some guys that could be a complete mystery to you that aren't on their two teams. That absolutely could get. Sometimes there's a true freshman that that week impressed people in practice. And all of a sudden he's out there playing and he wasn't even on their duty. 
you have no idea who this guy is. So I got burned by that a couple of times, you know, in my first year. And finally ended up, you know, saying, at least to myself, this question to the coaches, at least to my ear, sounds like I'm unprepared. Is there anybody else that can touch the ball? But what that question really is, is, you know, is there anybody that you're hiding that I about right now? I'm not posed on Saturday when this guy's out there making plays and I've never seen him before. Um, NFL, again, that's not a problem that the NFL guys have to worry about. There's no NFL television broadcaster that ever has to ask a coordinator, is there a guy on your team that I don't know about that could get in the game? Because there's only 53 guys on the entire team, and every single one of them is listed on their duty. So you can't be surprised um, unless they sign the guy on Saturday and are playing him on Sunday. But in college, you can get surprised regularly. So I always tag every single question, at least to the coordinators, with, did I miss anyone who might see the field, or did I miss anyone who might touch the ball? And at least once or twice a season, there's a coach that, oh, yeah, you know, keep your eyes open for 84 true freshmen. He's been showing in practice a little bit. We might try to get him in there. And all of a sudden, 84 is out there catching five or six balls. And, wow, I'm glad I wrote him down because he's playing. Um, you know, so for, for young broadcasters that haven't done college football, that would be my tip to learn from my mistakes of missing guys when I first started. Always ask the coordinators if there's somebody that they, you know that they might be keeping under wraps that you need to know about. Yeah, that's going to be Ball State this year too. So I'm I'm excited for when that happens and it catches even me off guard. <laughs> so I'm, yeah, I'm, that, that, that happens to everyone. Yeah. Um, when you uh when you're done with a broadcast, uh, what makes you what makes you satisfied? If if you did these things correctly, um, what are you what are you happy about? When you what are you looking to what makes what makes a, a good Bob with shoes and broadcast at the end of the day? Uh, to me, it's I guess kind of three check marks. You know, did, did we present the game? Hopefully, you know, with some good human interest stories, but stories in the game. Uh, did I set my analyst up well? You know, was it a conversation? Uh, was I taking him places that made him look good? Uh, was I gearing the conversations towards the elements of the game that I know he thinks are important because that means I paid attention all week? And, you know, did we hit the end of the game well? I mean, I hate to say it, but I don't walk away from broadcasts feeling good about the game unless two things happen. The game was close, and we handled the end of the game well. I never feel satisfied with the broadcast walking away from a blowout because blowouts stink. Blowouts are boring. Blowouts are are uninteresting. And that then you, you know you're just kind of a victim of the material that you've been given to work with. So, I mean, I could do the best broadcast of my life if the final score is 55 to 10. I'm going to feel like well, no one was watching in the second half because the score was 55 to 10. So who cares? So, the, you know, the game has to be close for you to feel when you walk away from it like you did a good job. And that's those are kind of, the, you know, the, the things that I really, at the end of the game, would like to pay attention to. Um, especially handling the end of the game well and making sure that the analyst was a big part of that. I don't want to go too much longer with you because you've been more than generous with your time here, but uh, you said a couple of things there that I wanted to, to hit on. Uh, one of which was... Uh, 
weaving of human interest stories and, and getting those things in appropriately, and I, I know it's different on television and radio, uh, what's the best way that you've found to attack stories um, and, and do it in the best manner that conveys it without getting it lost in the game or the game getting lost in the story? Well, I mean, you know, I think human interest stories for the play-by-play guy have to kind of be boiled down the same way the graphics have to be boiled down. You know, we run into this a lot of times with our research people. Um, you know, we'll, we'll say to, you know, some of the people that are kind of the omnibus people back in Bristol, all right, Louisville has this scandal. We're doing their game on Saturday. You know, give us the latest. How does ESPN kind of want to present this scandal? And they'll send us the Magna Carta. You know, they'll send us like two full Titan pages. And of course, what we in our little production meeting are saying is that's great. If I were doing outside the lines and I had a half an hour to spend on the little bold story, but we have 15 to 20 seconds. What are the bullet points? Give us a one page bullet point graphic version of the highlights that we have to hit. And that's the way we'll be able to present the story. And maybe we'll have a couple of plays to talk about it afterwards. But, we're, you know, we're not a magazine show. We have to stuff that impertinent information in, in a place where it's digestible, but isn't going to totally overshadow the game that you're calling. I mean, you know, the reason you're there is to document the game. And so I find the same with human interest stories. You know, you got to keep in mind that you're there to call the game and document the game. So I think you have to always look at human interest stories kind of the same way. How can I, in you know, 15 seconds to 20 seconds, get the highlights of what a great story this kid might be based on the five-page feature story that I read on him? You know, usually in the first half, um, if the game's going, you know, you said the game's going to be close. You know, time and score certainly plays a lot into that. You don't want to be telling a human interest story with three minutes to go in a tie game, and it's really about the game. Sure. So now if the, game's, if the game's a blowout, well, I mean, obviously in the second half, you have much more leeway to tell some of those stories. Um, that's why you prepare a lot of those stories. Um, so it's a feel thing, but it's like anything else. You have to understand the rhythm of the game, time and score. You know, the, the guy you want to tell a story about is a running back, and he goes off tackle left for two yards in the second quarter, great. Put the story in there, because the odds are that the analyst doesn't have something real compelling to say about a two-yard run. And, uh, you know, here, here's a good chance. And it's early enough in the game that you're not intruding on the game. But hopefully someone finds the story interesting. But, you know, again, I, you know, don't blow that stuff out of proportion, because it, it really is about calling the game that's in front of you, because that's why the person turned the television on. They turn the game on because they want to watch the game. So that's that's always the forefront of my mind, and I force-feed stories in in a way that intrudes on the real reason that the audience turned the game on in the first place. Bob, if people wanted to uh, find you on social media or watch or listen to you, uh, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, well, I mean, Twitter's ESPN Bob, just one word. That's about it. I mean, I'm not a big social media guy. Like, I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm really on Twitter because way back when, it seemed like the people that I work for liked you to be on Twitter, and I get it. <laughs> it's just free advertising, but, you know, I mean, 
I don't even think that what I'm doing each day is that interesting. So I don't expect other people to think that, you know, like me taking a picture of the plate of food that I have in front of me <laughs> and somehow sending that out to the world, you know, I mean, why, why does anyone think my lunch is interesting? So, I mean, I'll tweet about, you know, the game I'm doing that day. If there's an interesting note that comes out of our production meetings or just to remind people our crew is going where and when and on what channel and what time and things like that, I'll throw that out there. But, you know, maybe we interact with some fans, too. Um, if they have some opinions about our broadcast, positive or negative. Um, but, you know, if you look at my Twitter account, you'll see I'll, I'll go days without doing anything on there. So, um, but, yeah, I mean, if anybody wants to follow me for the, this, this, you know, some of the things that I throw out there, that's great. I'd appreciate it. Really good stuff this week from Bob with Shoes in on Play by Playcast. Um, thrilled that we uh, were able to have him on here and that he was uh, more than kind enough, gave us about 40 minutes of his time. Uh, I thought the prep stuff at the end there was really good uh, as far as how he digests everything that he finds in a week, keeping things straight as well. And then I thought at the very end there, the storytelling aspect was interesting as well. A couple of things we haven't really hit on with a lot of people on this podcast so far, and I think uh, we should probably delve into more in the future. Uh, haven't talked a lot about prep with guys. Haven't talked a ton about uh, proper storytelling. And I was happy we got into it uh, on a couple of those topics and more uh, with Bob Wischusen here on the podcast. Uh, if you've never seen Bob Wischusen or heard Bob Wischusen, uh, turn on ESPN this weekend uh, or find the Jets game as well. But uh, excellent broadcaster. And uh, he's one of those guys where you just kind of put him on, kick back, listen, and, uh, and you learn some things quickly, both about uh, the subject matter, but also about this industry as well. You can find him, uh, as he said, on Twitter at ESPN Bob. Uh, until next week, though, they're playing the music, so that's my cue to get up on out of here. Uh, enjoy your week of broadcasting, and uh, we'll be back here next week. We will go baseball. The season's winding down. May as well get a baseball guest in. Uh, Joe Davis from the Los Angeles Dodgers. And I guess football, too. He's a national guy uh, for college football, so we'll stay on that string as well. But uh, Joe Davis will talk uh, L.A. Dodgers stuff with us. He'll talk baseball. He'll talk football. We'll talk about some other stuff. Uh, He is on the podcast next week. Until then, we say so long. Hit us up on Twitter, at PXPCast. Rate us all that good stuff. And we'll talk to you next week right here on Stitcher, iTunes, and your phone. (laughs) See ya.